Take them out, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Does everyone have a handout? I put together a little handout for you because this is such a such an important chapter, I believe, in our Christian life, in, in how we live our life. And uh, a lot of what I covered last week, um, uh, you, you'll see the basic um, premise there about the four uh, principles that Paul shared. Uh, knowledge must be balanced in love, authority balanced by discipline, um, experience balanced by caution, freedom balanced by responsibility. And those are the areas that we're going to be covering uh, in the weeks to come as we uh, continue studying through this book. But to me, this is one of the most um, most practical chapters that he really deals with in the next three chapters, actually, or these three, eight, nine, and ten, as far as our Christian life and how we are to live our life and why it is important that we live with other people in mind and not necessarily ourselves. Um, you know, that's called... Um, that's called Christian maturity, is it not? I mean, it's when we mature and start growing up that we quit thinking so much about ourselves and we start thinking about others. Um, so that's called Christian maturity. So this chapter really alludes to that and, and helps us along those, those areas. So before we get started, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And maybe some of you, I'd like to, to slow down in our Bible study, Sunday school time, and and uh, just take some prayer requests, and maybe you have a request or two that you'd like to share. It doesn't necessarily have to be a prayer request. It could be a praise report. Uh, you could share maybe how the Lord's worked in your life this week, and we all can be encouraged by that. Uh, so whichever you may have. Does anyone have anything this morning before we pray? Melinda lost her husband. She just spotted you. Yeah, Sorry. You know, we run and run. We just can't ever get away, can we, Sean? I'm kidding you. <laughs> All right, then. Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer then this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege uh, to be able to study your word, to have a copy of your word today that we can open up and study and apply to our lives. And it's your word spoken to us. And, and Father, we thank you for your word today. It leads us and guides us and directs us and in every avenue of our life. And, and I just pray that you'd open our hearts and minds and <clears throat> that you would help us to realize that your word is spiritually discerned. And sometimes whenever we look at it from a, a purely logical or, or secular viewpoint, some, a lot of times it doesn't make sense. But it's as we look at it through your eyes, and it's we look, as we look at your word through our spiritual hearts and loves, uh, it just it just opens up and it makes so much sense. And I just pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds and help us to uh, spiritually discern your word today so that we can apply it to our lives and be stronger and more effective Christians in the community that we live so that we could reach our family and our friends and loved ones and co-workers and neighbors for Christ and, and may everyone see Jesus in, in our lives and in Victory Church. I just pray that you bless our time together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First Corinthians chapter eight. <clears throat> I gave you once again the uh, the outline there. Today we're really going to we're going to finish up chapter eight today. Now I told the guys last week. I apologize. I went too long. Some of you parents, I had to get back out to get kids and things. I know I put you in a bind. Uh, so I'm getting. I've, I've got them positioned where they're going to come in and flag me down at ten after. 
because uh, sometimes I get caught up in this thing and I totally forget what time it is. Uh, so they'll be darting the doors here at 10 after to wrap this thing up. But so we're going to deal with chapter eight today. We're going to wrap it up today. Last week, I really just gave you an introduction to the entire chapter. But I put some things in writing for you today simply because, once again, I think this is such an important chapter that I want you to walk away uh, with with what this chapter, what the teachings that Paul is trying to uh, to reveal to us. So you have that right there in front of you. Once again, as I mentioned last week, that that this chapter, chapter eight, deals with one of the most controversial subjects in all of Christianity, especially in the day when Paul was living in the church of Corinth in that era, in that first century, uh, Christianity was in existence. And it had to do with what about food being offered to idols? Is it okay to eat this food or not? And um, I laid the premise for that last week and gave you the introduction. But whenever we think about that food that was offered to idols, our first thought is, well, that doesn't even apply to us. We, we're, we're not faced with that. But we are faced with it on a wider scale, if you will, whenever it talks about Christian liberty. What can we do and what can we not do? And uh, how do we live our lives? What about the questionable areas in our life that possibly uh, God's word is not definitive on? And by the way, there are, God didn't tell us everything he knew, right? He just kind of told us what we needed to know to get through and live by faith. And he'll explain the rest of it whenever we get to heaven. You know, when, we get, when we get to heaven, it's going to be a place of learning. You know that, don't you? We're going to be enlightened like we have never been enlightened before. We're going to be learning all through the ages to come. And, and we're going to be working and serving. We're not just floating around like Casper on a friendly ghost. I can't get off into what heaven's going to be like. But there we will be learning. We, uh, we will come to know him in his fullness, I believe, at that, at that particular moment in time. But until then, we've got to live by faith. And we've got to pay attention to how we live our life. And so Paul is, is writing to the church at Corinth addressing their concerns about this food that was offered up to idols, whether it was okay they eat it or not. Okay? So if you look in your outline that I gave you today, I gave you just a just a quick outline of the chapter. I want to I want to go over that outline with you today. Uh, I just want to make a few comments on each one of these verses. I think I pretty much unpacked most of chapter 8 last Sunday, but I just want you to see the outline, see the progression of thought that's taking place uh, through this chapter. On the very back of it, Back of the handout that I gave you, I put together seven different uh, principles that we should apply to our life on making a decision on whether something is accessible or not accessible, acceptable or not, or permitted or not. Uh, and we'll cover that in the end of our time together this morning. First Corinthians chapter 8, our outline, we're talking about Christian liberty. And I want you to look in verses 1 through 6. I've put on your outline for you that, number one, knowledge as the basis of liberty. If we're going to have this Christian liberty, knowledge has got to be at the base of it. And so that's what he's unpacking for us. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says, about food offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Once again, you see that's in quotation marks. Paul is alluding to what they had written to him in a letter, and he's pulling that out of their letter, putting it back in the letter he's writing to them. They've acknowledged that they had... Are these lots going in and out? Is that just me? That's these glasses, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so he's acknowledging that they know that they have knowledge. If you remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul told them that they were very rich... In knowledge. So the Corinthian church had knowledge. 
Okay? These aren't a bunch of um, illiterate people. They've got tremendous knowledge. They've been gifted with this knowledge. And Paul is drawing that to their attention once again. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates with pride, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food offered to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. So what Paul is saying here, and he's unpacking in verse number three, he's talking to them about their knowledge. These mature, strong believers have this knowledge that eating this food is not worshiping an idol God, okay? That's the knowledge that they have. But he's telling them to use that knowledge with with caution. And then, if you will, in verses four through six, we'll see that the knowledge that they have discounts the idolatry that was taking place in that day. Then look, we see two reasons or two ways that it did. Look in verse number four. About eating food offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. So the first thought is they know with the knowledge that they have that the idol is nothing. It's, it's man's imagination. It's, it's a carving out of wood or, or, or out of stone or, or whatever that they put together in their own mind that an idol really is nothing. So that's the knowledge they have on why they can eat this meat. And that's true. Okay? And knowledge is nothing. The second thing that they know that reveals the knowledge that they have is that there is but one God. Now, I want you to look at the statement that they make in, in verse number four, the latter part. And there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, these that are spiritually strong and mature, these that have this knowledge, for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are, are all things, and we through him. <laughs> I could almost get off on a tangent right, right now on some theology that's being preached in our day by a very well-known lady that resides in Chicago that has a magazine and TV show, and she'll tell you there are many gods in many ways to heaven. You know who I'm talking about? Oprah. Have you seen her theology that she's moving into now? Her doctrinal teachings that she has uh, via the Internet? And, and anyhow... She would not agree with this statement. But these that had knowledge said there's one God. And that's true. There is only one God. And these that had that knowledge said, listen, idols are nothing. And that's true. And there is only one God. Okay? So their knowledge that they had because they were spiritually mature and strong discounted the idolatry that was taking place in that day. Idols are nothing. It's man's imagination. It's something they built. They're worshiping man's hands or whatever the case may be. And there is only tr one true God. Okay? There's nothing to disagree with these mature believers at this point, is there? Because they're very correct in their, in their thought process. Okay? There are no gods. But look at verses 7 down through verse number 13. And this is where we're going to try to unpack some more things today. And the outline I put for you, this is where we find the necessity of regulating liberty. Yes, you do have liberty because of the knowledge that you have. Eating these meats does not make you worship an idol. You know there is no idol. You know it's man's thought process. It's something created from man. You know it's nothing. 
and you believe and you know there is only one God, the knowledge that you have would allow you to eat this meat, would give you this Christian liberty to do this. But he says you've got to regulate that liberty. Just because you have the knowledge and you know that there is no idol and you know there is one God, Paul is going on to say with this thought process as he changes gears and drives it home that it's still not okay for you to do whatever it is you want to do simply because you have the knowledge and you know that in this instance, eating this meat is nothing. Meat that had been offered up to idols. Okay? So in verses 7 through 13... He's sharing with them how it's necessary that they regulate their liberty. Look in verse number 7. Why why is it necessary that we regulate our liberty? Number one, because not everyone has this knowledge. Look what he says in verse 7. However, there's the transition point. Okay? Paul shared with them the teaching, the thought process, the knowledge that they have, and now he is applying it. He's saying it's very true, but however, in verse number 7. Not everyone has this knowledge. In fact, some have been so used to idolatry up until now that when they eat food offered to an idol, their conscience, being weak, in that phrase you could put spiritually immature, their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Okay? In other words, he's saying that everyone doesn't have the knowledge of you. Everyone is not where you are spiritually. Everyone does not know that there is no idol and there is only one God. There are people in the church that are spiritually weaker or not as mature as you. And therefore, you need to take them into consideration in what you're doing and how you're living your life. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's unpacking for them. However, why should we, why, why is it necessary we regulate our liberties? Why is it necessary that we put some, some boundaries around us as Christians and some things we just not, we just do not practice and do? Why? Mainly because it will make, it, it's possible it can make our brother stumble or fall into sin. And if we make our brother stumble or fall into sin, then we have sinned and we've not only sinned against our brother, but we've also sinned against Christ. Hello? I get a witness right there? So it's necessary that we regulate our liberty because not all have this knowledge. Second thing I want you to see in verse number 8, that eating the meat is not even the main problem or the main issue or the main problem with, 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 with what's taking place here in the church. It's not a matter of whether you're eating meat or not. Look what he says in verse number 8. Food will not make us acceptable to God. We are not inferior if we don't eat. We are not better if we do. Paul's saying it's not going to make you in any better standing with or, or without whatever, whether you eat meat or not, in the sight of God. You're not going to be more spiritual if you do eat it, knowing that it's nothing, and you're not going to be less spiritual by not eating it, or more spiritual by not eating it. Either way, food is totally irrelevant. Okay? Sometimes we get hung up on these things, and we realize there's a bigger picture than the one little issue that we're talking about. And so Paul is trying to expound their thinking and say, listen, it's not about the meat. That's really not the main problem. Now, the meat kind of is at the core, but you eating meat is not going to make you any better in the stand, in your standing with God or any less by not eating it. So you see what he's trying to say here? We're no better off by eating meat. We're not inferior if we don't eat. We're not better if we do eat. And that brings us down to verses 9 through 11. The danger is causing 
someone else to sin. Causing another to sin. Look, if you will, in verses 9, 10, and 11. He says in verse 9, But be careful that this right of yours... What's he mean, this right? This liberty that you have. This freedom that you have. Be careful that this right, this liberty, this freedom that you have in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if somebody sees you, the one who has the knowledge, he's he's identifying you, the strong one in the faith, you, the one who has the knowledge, if someone sees you that has this knowledge, dining at an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food that's offered to idols? Then the weak person, the brother for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. So the main issue is, am I causing my brother or sister in Christ to stumble and fall? That's the heart of this issue. And what I'm doing in my life, is it going to cause someone else to sin, to stumble? you got to remember, a lot of these believers in the church at Corinth had been delivered out of idolatry. And there they got into the Christian church... And they see some of the mature Christians that had been in this church for a long period of time now going right back into the temples of idol worship that they were delivered out of eating the meat that they had one time offered up. It was offensive to them. So then they were thinking, okay, maybe it is okay to go over there and and worship all gods. You see how it was leading into the weaker brothers stumbling and falling over the simple act of them eating this meat which they found very appalling because God had delivered them from that. Now, with meat, we can put in anything there. We can plug in alcohol there. We can plug in smoking there. We can plug in chewing tobacco there. And by the way, as a boy being raised in the South, I did a little bit of all those things early on in my life. But God delivered me from all of it. Okay? Whatever it is. Matter of fact, there's some Christian believers that do not believe that swimming in a, in a public swimming pool is acceptable. I mean, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. But the main point is not these particular things. The main point is, am I causing a weaker Christian brother or sister to stumble and fall? That is the heart of the issue. And if my life and my lifestyle is causing someone else to stumble and fall, then I've sinned in what I'm doing. Although it may be perfectly acceptable within my rights as a Christian to do that. If I make someone stumble and fall, that's the heart of the issue causing them to sin. Do you see the issue there? That's what Paul was talking about with this meat that had been offered up. And the last thing I want you to see here, or in verse number 12, I got a couple more here. To eat another's, to eat to another's hurt is sin, in the outline I gave you, verse number 12. Now when you sin like this against the brothers and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. You remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 25 and the latter part of it? Remember, this is the story when he's looking to those that are following him and he said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison. You visited me. And 
They kind of scratched their head and they said, Lord, when did we ever see you naked and clothed you? When did we ever see you hungry and gave you food and meat to eat? When did we ever see you in prison and came and visited you? You remember what Jesus said? He said, as you have done to the least of these my brethren, so you've done unto me. You see, you want to gauge how much you love Christ? You know, I can't even use this saying in preaching anymore because we don't sing, Oh, how I love Jesus around here much anymore. But you remember that old hymn, Oh, how I love Jesus? How much do you love Jesus? I'll tell you exactly how much you love Jesus. I want you to think about the brother or sister or the person that you love the least. That's how much you love Jesus. Don't think about your best friend that you would die for and give your life for and sacrifice for. Think about that person that annoys you the most. Hello? Jesus said, as you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, so you've done unto me. So when we make our brothers and sisters stumble and fall in Christ and sin, in all reality, we are sinning against Christ. Okay? So, therefore, you'll see in the notes, the letter D under number two, to eat to another's hurt is sin. Now, that's within the interpretation of the scripture that Paul gives us in chapter eight about eating meat. You got to understand with God's word, there's one interpretation. The Bible only means one thing throughout from Genesis to Revelation, one interpretation, numerous applications. So within the context of the scripture, this meat, eating meat to another's hurt is sin. Okay. We can apply that to any area in our life. You take out the word meat there or eating, eating meat, and you plug in anything that may be questionable to you. You plug in any gray area in your life about whether I should do it or not, whether it's permissible or not, whether it's allowed or not. You plug that in there and you plug it in. I'm not going to plug it in for you. You plug in the area in your life that you're struggling with. As I told you last week, I used to chew tobacco. I used to chew red man and beech nut. I mean, I was raised with that. My grandmother had snuff, chewed snuff and, or dipped snuff and, I mean, until she went into the rest home. I remember as a boy seeing the old uh, tin can that lard came in. And I'm going back here to the country now. But seeing the old tin can that lard came in and some paper towels or a newspaper wadded up and stuck down in there. It was beside the couch in the living room at grandma's house. And she had those little metal snuff cans and she would twist the lid off, pull her lid out and dump it in there. And she dipped it as long as I could ever remember. And then she into that spit can. Well, I thought that was the coolest thing since ice cream, you know. So as soon as I got old enough to dip, I'd pull, I snuck some of Grandma's snuff out. And I tell you, it made me sick as a dog the first time I did it. But then I got to where, hey, I can chew this stuff. I can do that. I can do Red Man. And I like the beech nut because it's a little bit sweeter. But you know what I found? And then I went to the skull and then I went to the packs. And I did that until in church there were some people that questioned me doing that. And I'm talking about early on in my Christian walk. And I said, you know what? And I ran across this passage of scripture. I said, you know what? If, if it's offensive to you, then, then I'll stop. 
If it offends you, then I'll stop. I didn't need it for myself. But it was offensive to someone in the church. And so therefore I quit doing it. That's Paul's principle. Look at the last verse of verse number 13. Therefore, if food causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. Everybody okay back there, Tom? Okay. If food causes my brother to fall, what he's saying is, I will no longer eat meat. Now, you take meat out of there, and once again, you put in anything that may be questionable in your life, and you plug it in there. And if it causes someone to fall, then I won't ever do it again. Now, where I'm from, you just don't work on Sunday. You don't mow grass on Sunday. You don't wash cars on Sunday. You don't do any of this kind of stuff on Sunday. That's not really... I don't know that there's a... I mean, we're not under law anymore. We're not under the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the Friday evening to the Saturday evening. 6.30 to 6.30 or 6 to 6 on Friday and Saturday. Sunday's the day of celebration. And there really is no law that says that we can't mow our grass or wash our cars on Sunday. You may stretch something, and I think I could pull some verses out that may be a little bit of a stretch, but I think you'd be taking it out of context somewhat because the interpretation says this, and we're not under that any longer. But I believe this principle comes in. And if it offends someone, I don't want to do it. Hello? Now, I'm not saying you've got to decide that in your heart and your life. Whatever area there is in your life that's questionable, plug it into verse number 13, where Paul said, Therefore, if food or whatever gray area in your life causes my brother to fall, I will never again eat food or whatever there is in your life so that I will not cause my brother to fall. That's the life principle we live by. If it offends my brother, I'm not going to do it. So in closing, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. So in closing, i got about ten minutes. I want to hit these seven points on the back of your notes. And I intentionally typed this out for you today. And actually this morning I was over at the office and I put this together for you because I wanted you to have it. I had it in my notes, but I wanted you to have a copy of it. Because this is where the rubber meets the road in a Christian life. This is where it does matter how you live your life outside the four walls of this church. Have you ever heard people make this make the statement? Well, you know, they come to church and, and, and claim to be all holy and righteous and spiritual and all this. But Monday through Friday or Saturday, they're just like the world. You've heard people make that accolade about someone. Have you not? I know people like that. They get all dressed up and look good on Sunday. But I tell you, Monday through Saturday, I can't tell, I can't tell them apart from an unbeliever. And the way they speak, words they use, how they treat people, things that they do, places they go, things they're involved in. But boggles me sometimes. Huh? So this right here is going to help us on how we live our life. Listen, how we live our life outside of church on Sunday is extremely important. Right? Extremely important. I mean, it's our witness. And I'm going to cover some of these things. In deciding about, on the back of your notes, look at this with me. In deciding about whether or not to participate in any behavior that is doubtful, the following principles make a good checklist to follow. Number one, excess. 
Is the activity or habit necessary? Or is it merely an extra that's not really important? Is it perhaps only an encumbrance that we should willingly give up? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Lay aside every weight that easily besets us. Being in the South, the issue of smoking always came up. And you know what I would tell folks? I would say, well, it may not actually be a sin. Because, and, and, and the question would be, will people go to heaven and smoke? Will people go to heaven and still chew tobacco? And I was kind of brought up under the old fiery preacher and said, well, you may go to heaven chewing tobacco, but you have to go to hell to spit. You know, that's, that's kind of the stuff that I, I grew up with. But, but here's the thought process. Listen, there's nothing in Scripture that says, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Believe He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried in the tomb for three days. He came out victoriously. And do not chew tobacco or smoke cigarettes and you'll go to heaven. You see, there is no disclaimer at the end of that. So there's going to be all kinds of people in, in heaven that may do some of these practices that we think is unlawful or not acceptable in the Christian faith. Hello? But the problem is... Is it just something that's just an activity or is, or is it just a habit or is it just necessary? Is it really important that we do those things? You know, a lot, a lot of times it's called spiritual maturity, just growing up. Because when we're, when we're spiritually immature, we're like, we're, like, we're like children, like two-year-olds. I mean, how many has ever had a two-year-old that taught all the other two-year-olds in the nursery or kindergarten or not kindergarten, but in the nursery and got them all together. They taught all the other two-year-olds how to share. And how to give. Did we ever have a two-year-old like that? No. What is a two-year-old constant? That's my toy. I mean, how many has a two-year-old that when all the other two-year-olds are around, your two-year-old goes and gets all the toys and gather around themselves? Those are my toys. That was my two-year-olds. Okay? So what are we constantly doing as parents? We're trying to mature them and grow them up to where they realize that life is not all about themselves. It is about giving and sharing. Bring that same principle into the Christian life. Spiritual immaturity says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want to do. And I'll trust Jesus and go to heaven. Yeah, I believe he's God's son. He died for me and I've asked him to forgive me. But I I can still do this. You know, you'll get to heaven because you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. But you won't bear much fruit here. Probably won't be many rewards there. Our process now is we've got to start growing up spiritually. And quit living life like this and it's all about me and nobody's going to start living life. You know what? If it offends my brother, I'm not going to do it. Hello? That's Christian maturity. Excess. Number two, expediency. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable or expedient. Paul is saying, you know what? As a Christian, I have liberty. I'm not bound by rules and regulations and laws, and thank God we're not. And all things are lawful to us, but they're not all profitable. Neither are they all expedient. So we've got to look at everything that we're, we're doing. Is what I want to do helpful? Is it useful? Or is it only desirable, feeding the flesh and self? That's that immaturity there. Okay? Number three, emulation. This is important. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, The one who says he abides in him, that would be us as believers, 
Those believers who say that they abide in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. That He is capital H. He's talking about the Lord. We should walk in a way that He walked. Jesus came and His entire walk here was not to fulfill His own selfish desires, was it? He came to give. He was willingly giving of His love. So we need to emulate Christ. If we're doing what Christ would do, our action not only is permissible, but good and right. Number four, an example. Are we setting the right example for others? Especially for weaker brothers and sisters. Now, I'm just talking about within the context of the church. You could expand this and talk about your kids and in your family. Do you want your kids to be uh, doing exactly what you're doing today? You know, more is caught than taught. It's, it's not, sometimes we get under, under the idea that, hey, do what I say, don't do what I do. No, they're going to do exactly what you do, Dad. Hello? Live, as an, live your life as an example. Are we setting the right example for others? Especially those that are weaker in the faith. If we emulate Christ, others will be able to emulate us to follow our example. 1 Timothy 4.12 is the example there. E- evangelism, number five. Is my testimony going to be helped or hindered? It's supposed to be a question mark at a typo there. Is our testimony going to be helped or hindered? Will this hinder my testimony for Christ? Or will this help me in my walk in the community? Will this help me to do away with this thing or not do it? Will unbelievers be drawn to Christ or turned away from Him by what I am doing? Wow, that's a big one. Will they be drawn to Christ or turned away by what I am doing? Will it help me conduct myself with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of every opportunity? You know what Paul was saying to the church at Colossae? He was saying this. He's saying, listen, we need to pay attention to how outsiders perceive us. That's what he's saying in that particular passage. With wisdom towards outsiders, with thought towards outsiders, unbelievers, people that are watching us. And by the way, if you profess to be a born-again believer, I promise you, the world is watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your co-workers are... You may not have any idea they're watching. And by the way, how, I don't know, maybe, maybe this has happened to you. It's happened to me hundreds of times in my, in my life. I mean, I mean, literally hundreds of times, maybe because of the spotlight that I'm kind of under and the scrutiny I, I get under sometimes. But people come up and say, hey, Pastor, I saw you do this the other day. I'm like, when in the world did they see me? I never saw them. Have you ever had somebody come up to you, hey, I saw you and you didn't see them? Have you ever had that happen to you? People are watching. They're watching your life. So evangelism is important. We need to be concerned on how outsiders view us. I'm really concerned with, with how the community of Muscoota and Scott Air Force Base and, and O'Fallon and, and all this entire area, I'm concerned with how they view Victory Church. That's always way up there on the top of my priority list. Things we're involved in, things we endorse, one of the first thoughts I have, how will they view our church? Will it hurt our witness for Christ? Edification. i got two I'm wrapping up. Edification. Will I be built up and matured in Christ? Will I become spiritually strong as a result of doing this? And then exaltation, number seven. Will the Lord be lifted up and glorified in what I do? God's glory and exaltation should be the supreme purpose behind everything that we do. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Paul said, whether therefore I eat or drink or whatsoever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. Guys, you see why this is so important? I want to get it in your hands. 
You need, to, you need to put this somewhere. You need to post it on your refrigerator. You need to put it in front of your Bible. You may need to make it smaller and do a little typo and tape it on the mirror in your bathroom so you see it every single day. This is good stuff to live by. And it will help you mature and grow in your faith if you live your life and you weigh all of those doubtful gray areas, those questionable areas in your life. Is it acceptable or not? If you line them up against this, I think you'll get your answer. I think you'll get your answer. And the Lord will be glorified with your life, which is what's most important. Hello? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, thank you for this chapter. Thank you that Paul addressed this. And Father, I thank you for inspiring him and sharing your words through him. And and God, I pray that we would take seriously how we live our life. It's so important. It's so important. The things we say, the things we do, the places we go, the things we're involved in, the things that we endorse. It's so important on how we live our lives outside the church on Sunday morning. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us. I pray that we'd be sensitive to your leadership in making decisions on whether we should be involved in particular issues or not. Help us to realize that life really is not about us as individuals. It's about living out your plan that you have for us. It's about living out your calling that you've placed upon us. It's about your kingdom work. It's about living life to glorify you. Sometimes we get so caught up in self and earthly things that we're of no heavenly value whatsoever. God, I pray that would not be the testimony of anyone in here today. Help us to live our life in a way that brings honor and glory to you. And help us also to live our life in a way that does not offend or make our weaker brother or sister in Christ stumble and fall. Bless each one that's here today. Help us to take seriously the way we live our faith and our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.